Our scripture reading this morning is taken from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And then we will turn to First John. It also starts from chapter 1, 1 through 10. First John, 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, have, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Our sermon text this morning is based on John chapter 1 verse 1 through 4, uh, which, which we just have read. So we will not read it again. Dear brothers, sisters, and guests, 1 John 1, 4 tells us the purpose of John's writing in this passage from 1 through 4. He wrote these things so that he and other apostles' joy can be complete, and this is the main reason to write his letters. So, what's joy? Are you a joyful person? If you are, why are you joyful? In other words, what makes you joyful? Is it married to someone you love? You finally, you marry her or him. Is it that you have a promising career? Or your children have fulfilled your 
goal for them? Or is it something else that makes you joyful? If you are not sure about what makes you joyful, perhaps you could think for a moment that, which, that what you love to share with other people most, that probably is something you are joyful about. But if it is anything else but not Jesus Christ, then I have to tell you the truth. You are not a joyful person. You may be a happy person because you, because you have something that makes you happy, but you are not a joyful person because there is only one person that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can make you truly joyful. So how can we be joyful people? And what does Jesus Christ, is my joy, mean? We will find out the answer in detail in today's message. Apostle John <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> testifies to us the most, the most joyful thing in his life is to fellowship with his readers in Jesus Christ, the word of life. So the theme of the message this morning is the Apostle John shares the testimony concerning the word of life. Under the theme are three points. First one, John, uh, the testimony testifies to the historicity, historicity of Christ. Second point, the testimony creates fellowship. And the final point, the testimony completes the joy. Let us begin with first point. The testimony testi testifies to the historicity of Christ. First John is a letter or an epistle, although it begins in a unique way as it doesn't introduce the author with, with uh, customary greetings a letter does in John's time. The letter of 1 John was likely to be written by John in the 90s of the first century after he wrote the Gospel of John. The background of his letter was a heresy that spread false teaching which denied the historicity of Christ. They said, Christ never really assumed our human nature. Christ has never become a real human with flesh and blood like us. So they attempted to convince or to persuade Christians that what the apostles saw was Jesus' phantom, a shadow, and that what they believed about Christ was wrong. And he appealed to his readers, John appeals to his readers, to reject this heresy and to have a true assurance that Christ is their true Savior. For this reason, he wrote this letter. In speaking of the writing style of 1 John, the German reformer Martin Luther 
once says, I have never read a book written in a simpler words than this one. And yet the words are inexpressible. John's words are simple, but his message is profound and it communicates to us more than they appear. Let's see how he begins his letter, which serves an introduction of the letter. If we read, if we, if, if we read the um, original language of the New Testament, it is written in ancient Greek, the first sentence ends with, we proclaim also to you in the third verse. And the main verb is the word testify. That is the main word of these four verses. So to what is John trying to testify? Verse 1 tells us he testifies to that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The first Greek word in the New Testament is a relative pronoun. And it is, it is translated as that which. And the word looked upon can mean to perceive something above and beyond what is merely seen with eyes. It is more than seeing. It is, it is an intelligent beholding. So it appears to refer to the gospel. But the rest of the information in the rest verse reveals to us that it also refers to a person who is the center of the gospel, that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. In summary, it is, it is the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, the word of life that John testifies to. And John testifies that the word was from the beginning. When was the beginning? Who saw the beginning? It is not easy to decide within the context of 1 John. That's why I said earlier that John's words communicate more than they appear. So we need to explore the answer in a broader context. When John wrote 1 John, he in fact had the Gospel of John and Genesis 1 in his mind. And that's why there are similar expressions among these three places, such as beginning, light, and darkness. In 1 John 1 through 4, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. If we have read through the Gospel of John, we would know the word, the word was Christ. He was with God in the beginning. And Genesis 1 verse 1 tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And Psalm 33, 6 also says, 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. So, if the word was Christ, and Christ was God, then Christ before incarnation must be the God who created the universe. Jesus is the eternal, without beginning and end. He was before the time and space which He created in the beginning. He is beyond the time and space, and He is not part of them. One pastor said, "Christ is the spring, not part of the river. Without spring, there is no river." So Jesus is the source of life. He created life and he gave life. John says, "Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is because of the Son you have the eternal life, not because what you do, not because of your performance, not because how smart or capable you are." And now John continues to emphasize that he has firsthand testimony about Jesus, because he saw the image of God, and Jesus was not a handsome man, as Isaiah fifty-three, verse two, describes. He had no form or majesty that we should look look at it, look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. And John, he heard Jesus teaching, his speaking, and teaching, and he saw that what Jesus did. He walked. Jesus walked. He ate. He hung out with his followers, and he did miracles. Moreover, John touched Jesus. Remember, he was reclining next to Jesus at the table. And if the readers of John's time did not believe his testimony, then they could go and investigate the fact. Paul testifies that after Jesus rose from the dead, there were five hundred people eyewitnessing him when he appeared before them, and and most of them were still alive. Paul means. If you doubt my testimony, you can go interview them. It would be impossible that several hundred people to have illusions in different time and space. All these emphasize that this word was real in the flesh. The word of life truly entered into space and time by assuming human nature. The gospel of the word. Of life was given on the earth. It happened on the earth. It was not kept to a certain group of people. It pertained to every single humankind on this earth. The Gnostics, in John's time, said the gospel only kept for a small group of people. They are they were the elites. But the rest of people they did not understand that. But John denies this kind of. Proclamation. Paul pluralism and relativism were dominant ways of the day 
in John's day, John was living in an age that was just as uncertain and just as changing as you and I are living in our day. But the historicity of Christ is indis- indispensable significance from the beginning of his life to his resurrection. It is the foremost event in the entire history of mankind. John says the gospel he proclaims to us is an old gospel. It is always the same. It first appears in Genesis 3:16, and from then on, the gospel always remains the same. That God promised a redeemer who would be a descendant of Adam and Eve. This redeemer is Jesus. So this gospel has been unchanging, and it is timeless. Whoever attempts to change, or even slightly modified it, is not from God. And this gospel, John proclaims to us, reveals a truth that Christ is fully God and a fully man. Christ is not a half man or and a half God like some ancient gods. If this is true for Christ, then he will not be fully God nor fully man. And he is neither all-powerful nor human as us who are vulnerable. But Christ is one person with two natures. It is mysteries, but not superior knowledge which made manifest to us. Unless God reveals it to us, to you and me, no one would believe, no one would believe this, no one would come up with this idea because it is beyond human imagination and which is the wisdom of God. And, the, that, and this is the gospel that the world rejects. If you are a materialist, you will not believe Christ. Christ was merely a great man or teacher. You will only believe that if you are a materialist. Some religious people or people of the New Age movement don't believe God become a man to save sinful mankind in this lowly world. Their gods are sitting on the highest throne in heaven. For them, John's witness was an illusion, was a fairy tale. If you are a skeptic, you are skeptical of everything. You don't believe anything. And you do not believe this fully man and fully God. But why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you just proclaim? I mean, why are you not skeptical of your skeptical thought? If you are a skeptical, you don't believe anything. You should doubt yourself as well. And why do you believe Plato and Confucius, who are historical people who lived who lived on this earth thousands of years before Christ. How many witnesses have ever testified to you that they saw and touched Plato or Confucius? 
In fact, Jesus has far more witness in history than any of these philosophers who were born many centuries before Christ. Some heresy says that the divinity came upon Jesus when he was baptized, and the divinity left him when he was crucified on the cross. This is not true. In all his life, Jesus suffered as a true man and true God. His two natures never diminished or separated. He did not cheat by using his divine nature when his human nature suffered. Then he would not suffer for our sake. And if his divine nature left him when he was on the cross, then his body would not rise from the dead because a human cannot overcome death and sin. So if Christ cannot resurrect from the dead, then how can we, who are mortals, we will not resurrect from the dead? His Jesus' bodily, bodily resurrection is our hope for our resurrection in the last day. Therefore, Christ has to be fully man and fully God in one person of Christ. This is absolutely true. This is the foundation of our faith. Jesus, Jesus himself claimed that I am the beginning and the end. I am the way. I am who I am. He also says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall, be, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus' testimony concerning himself is true, which is recorded in John's Gospel. Since he is God, so no other testimony can be greater than Jesus' his own testimony concerning himself. You can believe in Jesus is the word of life because it is not too hard to tell that he is either a lunatic or a true God. No one in history has ever said what he said about himself. Brothers and sisters, we believe the incarnation of Christ is the historical truth. We never see Jesus with our eyes. We never touch Jesus with our hands, but we believe in Jesus by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. John testifies to us the historicity concerning the word of life. Now let's continue to consider why John does it. And this is our second point. The testimony creates fellowship. John testifies to and proclaims Christ for you too may have fellowship with us. This is written in verse 3. What he means is he shares his testimony concerning the word of life with all his readers in his time and us today so that we also can have fellowship with him and the apostle circle. And fellowship means possessing something in common possessing something in common. 
But Christian fellowship means sharing the same spiritual inheritance and faith in Christ. The two words, you, too, suggest that though the readers did not have the same personal experience with the incarnated Christ that the, that the apostles had, they could experience the same spiritual fellowship with them if, if they believed the testimony they proclaimed. So believing the apostolic testimony makes fellowship with them possible. Many Christians in John's day were not related to him through blood. And Christians today do not know John in person. But when we Christians read his testimony, reading in the Bible, we all say, we will all say Amen because we all believe in the same Christ. Here in Ancaster, we have members and Christian visitors from different countries. We may not know each other before, but now we can enjoy fellowship because of the same gospel we believe. True fellowship with one another must be based on the apostolic gospel. In contrast, false fellowship is based on common interests or hobbies. Fellowship of such is weak. It can easily be changed when your interests or hobbies change. If you are a great basketball player, but if you injured, you lost ability to, to run, to jump, then you lose your friends because they will not spend time with you. But Christ, he never changes. He is forever who he is. He loves you not only today, not only yesterday, but forever. So if you desire to have true fellowship with true Christians, you have to come to a gospel-believing church or fellowship. That is the only way. True fellowship is a shared life, mutually committed, committed, accountable, in love with and trust in the same gospel. It doesn't have to be rich. You don't have to be rich. It doesn't have to be fancy or exciting. It can be as simple as a sincere prayer or reading God's word together. Don't just look at the external atmosphere. Don't just keep your eyes on one pastor who is articulated and humorous, who makes you emotional, makes you cry. Don't just listen to emotional and experiential testimony, but lack the essential message of the gospel. That is, Jesus is your Savior. The testimony the testimony is for testifying to Jesus, not the speakers. Don't marry unbelievers who do not share the same faith with you. You have zero fellowship with them. You live in the light. They, live, they walk in darkness. You have no fellowship at all with them. Don't just eat together after the church for fun, for convenience, or for the stomach. That's it together for the, sake of, for the sake of Christ. Christ is the only reason for our fellowship. The true fellowship is in Christ. Worship 
and focus on Him. If not, you might just join, participate in a social club under the clothes of Christianity. And John continues to say, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John points out the truth that no one can come to God without Christ as the mediator in the first place. If someone wants to meet the king in ancient times, he or she must be someone important or had something precious to offer to the king. But to meet with the Father in heaven, the King of kings, there is only one way that is given to us by the Father, and that is only our only Savior, Christ. John says, no one, no one who desires the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You can't use money, good deeds, or anything as a pass to come to fellowship with God. We do not deserve it. We were supposed to be punished, punished for our sins in hell. Yet, the Son of God saved our lives by giving up His own life for us. This is the only reason we now can fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And I believe we have experienced the beautiful fellowship in Ancaster. Praise the Lord for that. But the best fellowship is yet to come. That is the eternal fellowship with our Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. The fellowship we are having on earth is the earthly reflection of the heavenly fellowship. So consider attending church fellowship seriously. The fellowship in Christ has eternal meaning and it makes you strong in faith. Thank God that through the gospel concerning Christ, we will be taken into the ultimate fellowship that is the eyes have never seen, ears never heard, and hearts never imagined. By then we will see and hear and touch and look upon the glorious Christ in person. Let that this be our foremost desire. And, and, why, and why does John want us, want us to enter into this fellowship? The final point will answer it. The testimony completes the joy. In this final verse, verse 4, John tells his readers his second purpose of writing this introductory passage, which is our joy may be complete. He and the other apostles are joyful in knowing that his proclamation has not been in vain. This is what the apostle desire to see most. Making disciples of all nations is the great commission that Christ entrusted to them. They never forgot it. It is their greatest desire to see more people coming to Christ and to have fellowship with Father and the Son, Christ. For this reason, their joy can be complete which means to be fulfilled. It is a deep hunger 
deep hunger that is fulfilled. This joy is not simply, not just based on the historical fact that Christ died on the cross. It is more than that. Knowing about the truth about Knowing about, knowing about the truth about Christ is not enough. The more significant thing is that Jesus died on the cross for you, for your sins. This is a personal relationship between you and Jesus. That is the foundation of joy. Joy is the product of seeking fellowship with God or knowing God. That is the product, that is the fruit of seeking fellowship with God and knowing God. John is saying the fullness of joy can only be found in mutually, mutual fellowship with brothers and sisters who share life with the triune God by faith in Jesus Christ. If we, trust him, if we trust Christ, fellowship with Christ, and fellowship with his people, we are already participating in the fullness, in the full life of joy. God is a triune God. He is a relational being. Father, Son, and the Spirit have close relationship with each other. And God designed you and me to be relational beings. So you need to fellowship with Him. The foundation of joy. Lord's Day 22 tells us, because of the gospel, we already feel in our hearts the beginning of eternal joy. We do not need to wait for the last day. But starting from right now, right this moment, we already have the joy that the eternal life which we are given is eternal joy. Our joy is not the same as worldly happiness, which quickly comes and goes. Our joy is based on the solid truth that Christ has saved us from eternal death, and nothing can change it. The more your conviction in this truth, the more joy you have. This makes you joyful. And since we have eternal joy and we are willing to share such joy with one another in church, will you be happy to share this with your unbelieving family, friends, or neighbors? If you are a truly joyful Christian, you would want to testify to Christ and share your testimony of joy with other people because this is part of your new creation per personality. But if you are a indifferent, if you are indifferent in sharing the, the joy, that might indicate that you do not have the joy and you do not truly know God. I encourage you to come to God, ask Him for it, and pray with joyful church members. You have a concern. You might have a concern about whether people would listen to my testimony of Christ. So that hesitates you. People have all kinds of beliefs. Some are atheists, polytheists, or relativists. 
I get it. And so did Apostle John. But remember, the gospel is the power of God which the Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of the listeners. And God will transfer them according to his sovereign will. We can leave the conversion to God. That's his work. And you might have developed a sort of thinking from somewhere that the gospel is about deeds, not about words. Yes, we need to have good, good deeds to show that our belief in the, in the gospel is real to us. But simply by deeds is not enough. It is not good news per se. People still need to know why you act like this. Just as Peter says, to be ready to share the reason for your hope. I know some unbelievers and other religion, religious people they are very kind people. They love to help, and, and their behaviors sometimes are even better than Christians. So if, if only deeds matter, then you can't really persuade people to choose Christianity over other religions. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So to share the gospel, the testimony of your joy, in words is the teaching of the Bible. Our salvation is by faith in Christ, not by deeds. Now we can come to our conclusion for this morning. The main point of verse 1 through 4 is that John wrote this letter so that he and other apostles' joy can be complete. He desires to know that his readers will have fellowship with him and other apostles first, first through testimony of the word of life, the gospel of Christ, and then to fellowship with the Father. Likewise, likewise, if we truly desire to be fellowship, to have to fellowship with Christ and share the joy as John describes, we would we would love to share the gospel about how you hear, see, and touch Christ by faith. And persuade your unbelieving friends as apologetics in, in, love to, in love to fellowship with you and God by believing in Christ. May the Lord bless you, joyful fellowship in Christ. Amen.